was that? <laughs> I'm trying to psych you out. You said don't do anything, just let the music breathe. Yeah, dude, we don't get to spend much time together, you and me anymore, because you're so dang busy. And I might add, important. Uh, uh, about important. We don't get a chance to spend much time together. This is really it, so can we just be? <laughs> Dave Hard and I used going to have a life. friendship, but now we just podcast together. How are things going in your life? Well, my allergies are kicking my butt this late spring in Chicago. So I'm taking allergy medicine, but then I'm loopy until... Well, I'm still a little loopy. All right, so. this explains everything, So we'll see and how everything goes. Yeah, well, we have a big uh, week coming up here at Northern Seminary. The uh, Telos Collective is here. The Anglicans have hit... Uh, Hit campus. The Anglican invasion here. Yeah, we're going to have in about, about four or five hours. We're going to have a bunch of people with collars walking around the place. Huh? I doubt it. It'll be a bunch of hipster Anglicans. Yeah, none of them wear collars anymore. I would like a lot to wear of a collar. And, and, uh, and plaid is my guess. I just hope I don't have to watch McKnight and his collar walking around for two straight days. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> so hey, I got we that love going you, on. McKnight, but that collar, I'm telling you, we it's, it's, it's a farce. We all know what you're really doing. Hey, he's an Anglican guy. He's a guy now. Uh, he's, he's, he's Anglican. A, he's using his authority uh, symbolism on us. Hey, he can wear a collar. I can wear a bow tie. Everything's fine. Yeah, I don't know what you're wearing today, but it's not a collar. <laughs> I got my very it's loud, multicolored Joseph bright shirt on. Yeah, it's my Technicolor. Technicolor Joseph <laughs> dream coat you're wearing today. <laughs> Folks, he's got a shirt on that literally has like 20 colors, and I'm colorblind. I can't even There's probably you more I'm not seeing. Me. That's right. All right. Well, we better get to the show here, folks. Glad that you joined us one more time because uh, we've been a little bit spotty getting our work done here on the podcast. Because we all have been very busy. End of quarter. The Theology and Mission Lectureship is coming up with Soon Chan Ra. Yeah, and I'm so excited about that because here we are not only talking about lament, but we're going to actually engage in conversation about lament as a practice of the church, making space for God to do uh, a work among us in reconciliation and renewal uh, amongst the various antagonisms, racisms that are con- that are in our history. I'm looking forward to that. Now, that might not sound to, you, to people who just heard me explain that that might sound conceptual, but this is real stuff for pastors of churches to deal with. This is real stuff. So we want you to come and be involved in the conversation. Don't we, Jeff Holesclaw? Absolutely. I've been, I was uh, complaining. I was like, it's really hard to get people excited about lament, but lament is still very important. But today we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit, but also talk about reconciliation, overcoming differences. We're going straight to the heart of the new creation by looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Yeah, and just to give you the Revised Standard Version of that text, uh, it says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ. And so what I want to propose is a different way of thinking about this translation. I did this on Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook, Fitchest, whatever it is, Facebook. Find me there. Uh, but this, we did this on Facebook, and I said, okay, what about this? Now, it's a question. If, you know, McKnight and all those MA and New Testament exegetical, 
freaks from Northern Seminary are going to call me up and get on my case for being bad exegesis. I'm ready for you. We're all about exegesis. This is a proposal. What about this? For as many as have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, it is no longer Jew versus Greek, slave versus free, male versus female, for you are all one in Christ. So it's not or, or, and, it's versus, it's this competition, this uh, antagonism, as uh, a Dr. Dave Fitch might say. So what does this change in translation get for so, us? So let's just Especially admit, as people concerned with the church, concerned with the polarizations in our society, the left and right spreading out more and more than in the last 50 years, why does this kind of change in translation matter for us? Yeah, yeah. And just to ward off all the people who are going to send me nasty emails, uh, let's just admit this is not a literal translation. This is a theological uh, interpretation of the text. And what I'm proposing here in this translation of removing the ors, the neither ors, nors uh, to becoming verses is that such a... Uh, Understanding shifts the dynamic going on within the identity markers. Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, male, female. It 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 goes from what could be interpreted as obliterating difference or flattening difference to what's really at issue is the antagonism that drives the particular um, constellation of difference between Jew, Greek. Male, female, slave, free. Uh, it focuses on the antagonism that must be first healed and reconciled between the identities from which a new oneness comes. Indeed, something new is created. I think that helps us understand. Um, it creates a new set of problems that we're going to talk about, but it helps us understand that when Christ comes into the world, and we mutually enter into his presence and become baptized into his people. Christ does not obliterate the differences all the time, but what he does do is he heals the antagonisms. Sometimes the difference will be obliterated, like, for instance, slave-free, but not always. For instance, male, female, Jew, Greek, or other ethnic identities, black, white, Asian, uh, Latino, we are not aiming to obliterate the cultural differences. We are, and we are, we are. God works in the in the way of removing or healing the antagonisms between the races. I don't even want to use race. The ethnicities, the cultures, so that as we come now into a new space, the dialogue and the mutuality creates something. New. That was a lot of words. Can you put some a simpler spin on that for me? Well, we are uh, entering into the season of Pentecost, the season of ordinary time. Pentecost Sunday is coming up this Sunday, just a couple days from now. And sometimes we can think of Pentecost. Some people say it's the reversal of Babel. You, we've heard this, right? Like, yes. oh, Pentecost, where all you know the languages come and everybody hears, and now the scattering of all the people in Babel, the Tower of Babel, has been overcome. So, us. Uh, this goes from this is two two misconceptions here. One is is that Babel, the scattering of Babel, was like a necessary curse or punishment. And you and I uh, have talked about this, and we say no, that's actually not the case. And of course, we got this from Yoder, by the way. And by the way, there's some very good writing on Yoder's understanding of Babel. Uh, sorry, did I say Baba? 
I'm I in, don't know. I'm in. Are you speaking in tongues? Hey, there we go. The power of the Spirit is coming here. No, but if you want to. Theology and Mission podcast, we got some glossolia. Yeah, if you want to read some good take on this, uh, both the, the give and take and, and the discussion, uh, Politics of Yahweh by, by our buddy John Nugent. And if you just go in the, in the back index and look for Yoder and Babel, you'll find some good reading on all the various takes on this subject. So the idea of going to Babel, the idea is that uh, in our sinful humanity, in our fear to make our, a name for ourselves, humanity gathered together in like a sinful kind of unity of one language, which probably suppressed the diversity that was there, the people in charge. There's probably like slavery and things like that that were building this giant tower. And God comes in, he says, hey, this is bad. This is wicked. We're going to, we're, yes, we're going to change the one language. But God's intention was always to have diversity flourish and to have humanity scatter to fill, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole world. So the fact that they were all gathered in one place, probably in a coercive manner, uh, was against God's creation divine or design. So God comes down and scatters the people, but it's actually kind of a positive Right. Result, because if I can just add, because what happens when we are a diverse a group with multiple cultures and multiple languages? We now have to listen to one another, submit to one another, learn from one another. The tower, the symbolism of the tower, is not inconsequential to this understanding. The tower pulls everybody in and up. And there's a hierarchy that is developed, uh, a control tower, so to speak, a control center. No, God works through the dispersing of people among one another so that each in our own finite uh, outworking of cultures need to learn and grow and submit to one another and learn from each other. That's the way God had always planned it and it was and the sin of Babel was to become independent of God, autonomous from God, become a control center direct to God, and God dispersed the nations. And so when we get to Babel, so to continue the thought and then we'll we'll relate this back to Galatians three, is when we get to Pentecost uh, the tongues of fire come down onto the disciples. And what happens? Well, there's two reports. One is, is we're told that the disciples started speaking in many tongues empowered by the Spirit. And then later we get a report from all the people listening as they all say, and we have heard this word in our own languages. And so there's not a reversion back to one language, like some sort of Holy Spirit language. Actually, the Holy Spirit's enabling everyone to hear in their own languages. And so Pentecost is actually an affirmation of people's diversity while giving them, in a sense, the, the means to rise up to God, which is the name of Jesus Christ. This is the sermon that Peter, that Peter speaks. You know, all who you know, are baptized in the name of Christ will be saved. Uh, and so we have this diversity as well as this faith and based in Christ. And this is the same thing that Paul's going after, is he's saying uh, there's neither slave nor Jew, or there's neither slave nor free, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male and female, but rather those distinct identities uh, can be affirmed even though they are being transformed. Now, that sounds good in principle, but don't we want to destroy the antagonism between slave and free? Isn't yeah. that at least one? Like maybe yeah. we can have Jew and Denchow work together. Maybe we can have male, uh, male and female kind of, uh, but how is it that slave and free? Yeah, so on the Facebook conversation um, that was brought up, and I, I, I guess what I want to say is uh, we won't know what God wants to get rid of and what God wants to keep until... We unravel, unwind, and reconcile the antagonisms. Uh, I gave this example on Facebook. I said, you know, take the example of the Nazi and the Jew in the 1930s of Germany. Um, we probably 
uh, don't we probably don't see any reason to keep the Nazi identity marker, right? Or or the idea of being against the Nazi. I mean, who wants to be for the Nazi? So why uh, why would we want to preserve in any fashion, shape, or form uh, the identity marker of a Nazi? But and here I'm playing off uh, a mutual uh, philosopher friend of yours and mine. His name is Slavoj Žižek, and uh, uh, you know he, the question is from Žižek is can a Nazi ever stop being a Nazi uh, if the Jew Nazi antagonism still is there as long as there is a versus the Nazi is still locked into the subjectivity of being against the Jew can you explain what I just said yeah well I would I would say that there's um it's no good, and this is true for pastoring, it's no good to go into a situation and be like, hey, you're like this, now stop being like this. And you're like this, now you need to stop being like this. Like, don't find your identity in being the younger brother. Don't find your identity in being the successful person or things like that, right? You can't just tell people to change their identities when there's when they're deeply rooted kind of in their psyche or however you want to, you know, subconscious almost. Uh, but you have to unwind it. You have to kind of show, hey, you know, you've been finding yourself not only in this, but by playing off of this, like you are not this. It's We define ourselves by what we're not as well as by what we're for, more often by what we're not. And if you don't unwind that and expose that and take the time to own that and say, yes, I do do that, and now I'm going to repent of that. This is the turn away. Uh, and now I'm going to learn to take on a new identity and in Christ. And seek forgiveness and, and be reconciled and understand that the Jew, if I'm a Nazi, is not this uh, demonized object that I have created in my it's own not mind. not the scapegoat for all my problems. Yeah. It's not the, the reason why I'm out of sorts or whatever. Yeah. And so uh, what I'm trying to say here is that as long as you're locked into that sense of identity, you're never going to be able to get out of it just by saying you need to stop doing something. But once the antagonism is gone, and healed once there's reconciliation once the nazi has asked forgiveness once the nazi has even been forgiven does the nazi not indeed transform into something else or maybe even vaporize into nothingness that ideological identity of i'm a nazi is gone this to me cannot happen until the antagonism has been dealt with and so it's entirely possible uh, that we'll never get rid of Nazism apart from the reconciliation and the removal or the healing of the verses. And I think that's, so that's, um, that's a key issue here in, in this translation, or I won't call it a translation, this uh, interpretation of, of Galatians 3, 27, 28. Well, and I want to add to the, the moments of death and resurrection. So, you know, Paul says immediately before this, all who are baptized... And so there is this identification, this identity in the death and resurrection of Christ that our old identities, Greek or Jew, slave or free, male and female, the way we hold those things need to be submerged in the waters. Um, and we need to pass through those waters of purification and then be raised up. And maybe some of our identities we will be completely ridden of, uh, but other ones are raised up anew in a different way. And I also want to say that this whole passage is framed around the experience of the Spirit. Paul starts off this chapter with, did you receive the Spirit by faith or did you receive it by the law? Uh, 
And the whole thing moves toward the promise of the Spirit as the promise given to Abraham. And so life in the Spirit, life in the baptism of Christ, these are the things we're going right, toward. Right, right. But if I can just But there's no in. shortcut. you got to unwind our old identities, and that's even a post-baptismal process. Right. So uh, he's talking about the body of Christ experience. It's too often, too often in my opinion. In fact, sometimes you do this, Holesclaw, if I can say this on the air. Well, I don't know if... I could stop you. From sometimes, saying. sometimes uh, we make the Holy Spirit into a personal, personalized, individual experience. Whereas Paul's talking about a corporate experience of the body of Christ being baptized into a body, and the in the Spirit is the presence of Christ among us, unwinding the things that are destroying us, and our identities are, are keeping us from finding our identity in Christ. And so, this is another reason why I think Galatians three twenty seven twenty eight should not be. Not not be uh, translated neither male, uh, neither slave nor free, neither Gentile nor Jew, but sh- should be translated versus not slave versus free, Jew versus Greek. It should should be. Uh, did I say that wrong? Darn it! Um, you know what I'm trying to say. Anyways, <laughs> well, what about se- the and though? Let's second see. issue is the and, isn't it? Yes, we got to get to the and. So it's male and female. There's yeah, a so, difference there. So what's um, that antagonism? Isn't this? Isn't he referring? Back to creation, we are made uh, in God's image, male and female. He made them. You can't unwind an and maleness and femaleness. Are you? Are you suggesting? Yeah, this? I mean, it's very, very telling that he goes uh, uh, no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, nor or the, he's differentiating the two by a what in the Greek is the uda, and yet when he talks about. Um, uh, no longer male, it's and female. And so it's almost as if Paul's trying to emphasize something here differently, that something's different in the identities of male and female versus the social identity, slave, free, Gentile, Jew. And I guess what I'm wondering is, is there some sort of reference to creation here? And indeed, we know that just a few verses earlier, he's talking about the curse and could he be, is this not now talking about the removal of the curse between male and female? They, he shall rule over you, Genesis 2.15, curse. But male and female, it seems to be, he wants to say, those identities are more essentialist. Those are cre- grounded in creation. And so that's, of course, leading to a whole other set of discussions. But I think very interesting the way he wants this identity. Yes, we're still talking about the antagonism between male and female and it being unwound and healed. But he doesn't um, put them in- into relation with one another with a differentiating conjunction. It's more like a and a binary construction. How do you feel about that as an explanation, Holesclaw? How do I feel about this? You being... weren't listening, were you? No, I was listening. I'm trying to. I'm trying to summarize it before I respond. How do I? So how do I respond to the idea that this is both a created situation and a fallen situation that he's trying to get at? Yeah, and I think I think that's that's absolutely right. Is we have uh, and, and we are like at different levels uh, that that he talks about, like uh, neither. Jew nor Gentile, so that's like more at the cultural or ethnic kind of level. 
um, of which some of those identities may or may not remain. Then we have like the power domination economic level of slave and free. And then we have the, the human gender level of male and female. And I think there's like different ways that these antagonisms either can be unwound or perpetuated. Um, and I think there is something important about holding on to being made male and female. And we've talked about this quite a bit, our, even our last podcast, is the um, is the church being feminized, the feminization of the church. How do we hold on to some sort of biological or even essentialistic differences between male and female and that they're made in God's image? In a, uh, wish you hadn't used the term or, biological, but go ahead. Well... I, well, that's fine. But only because there are, biology, biological differences. Only because biology is a um, a construct of the modern universe and the scientific gaze of the Enlightenment. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Man, that saved me a lot of time. <laughs> right, but at the same time, it's like we have bodies, so I don't want to deny. Right, we have bodies. Body. I just don't want you to frame them in in okay, U.S. Okay. American science. All right. Well, what I meant was there's an embodied existence. of uh, in some fashion, uh, and, and it's hard to describe what that is, uh, but I just don't want to get too far from the body. But at the same time, uh, there is all this sinful power. Uh, we could even say discursive kind of understandings of our own bodies and the relationship between male and female, and that does need to get unwound. So how do we hold those two things together? It's one of the most difficult, you know, pressing kind of conversations we have. Yeah, so so that wasn't a response. I just kind of no, just no, talked no, more this, about this it, but kinda, hopefully it was a blessing to you all. This kind of wraps up, I think, what we want to say and what I'm trying to get at with this proposal. Um, it's not a translation, folks. It's an interpretation. It's a hermeneutic. And I think in light of especially the previous uh, five, five to ten verses, which talk about curse, which talk about the spirit, which talk about the, this new body in Christ, that indeed this is exactly what Paul is getting at. And so my question to you on Pentecost, and by you I'm not talking to you, Holesclaw, I'm oh, talking to everybody all... out there, is can you preach the gospel of reconciliation and renewal of all things as a people among us? I believe, by the way, that we can't really f go out into the world and work against racism if we can't first show what it looks like, this new body, this new thing God's going to do. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, when all nations gather before the one Lord, waving palms of peace and unity under one Lord. I believe we can't go out there and work for it in the world if we can't sort it out among ourselves. The leaves are the balm for the healing of the nations. Every, every situation, every bit of conflict in a congregation having to do with either socioeconomics, slave versus free, having to do with power structures, slave versus free, having, having to do with ethnic cultural differences, Jew versus Greek, and having to do with gender. And there's more violence and antagonism between gender structures today than ever before. Everyone is an opportunity for the church to bring in the reconciliation and healing of Jesus Christ for which he's going to transform us into this new vision of, of the world that the world does not yet know, know, but they're all heading there. They just don't know it yet. Amen. And the, to the promise of the Spirit, I just want to add uh, this Pentecost, the power of the Spirit. I just preached a sermon last week on Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul prays that we would know the exceedingly great power of God for us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead 
And that is the same power that is given to us in the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Uh, so we're given that power to overcome these antagonisms. We're given that promise. And that's something we should all embrace and live into. Hey, hey, do you get really emotional in your sermons? Uh, like, you know. I, I don't know about really emotional. I'm getting more emotional. Uh, it seems like <laughs> it seems like you even get more emotional right now. I can preach. Let's preach it. Amen. Let's preach it. Folks, that brings to close another uh, theology and mission, on mission lecture. Uh, oh, man, I'm all messed theology up. Theology and mission, mission lectureship. This is the Theology on Mission, mission podcast. podcast. We and would love your reviews or your stars if you have time. If you have any contributions to make on the on the uh, exegesis of Galatians 3, 27, 28, send us a note. Send me a note through Northern's website. I want to know more. I'm building a case. I'm, I'm writing a book, Neither Do I Condemn Thee, and I'm using, you know, this is just one little tidbit but this this is going to fit nicely into what i'm writing and I, if you can if you got anything add to it please i'm always ready willing to learn maybe don't send a note through the website you could find uh the theology on mission facebook page where we always post these that would be the best way to get a hold of us probably uh we don't have like a website or uh, an email Anyways, you can find us online. I have Twitter. A, I have an email Facebook. on the faculty a page of Northern Seminary. That's what I'm right. referring oh, to. Send him an email on his faculty page. Yeah, Google David Fitch and Northern Seminary. You'll go right to that. So we page. look forward to seeing you on a theology mission lectureship here in about less than a month. Please show up, and we'll have a good time, and especially for breakfast, always a good breakfast. Until then, oh, we'll have another podcast or two before then too. Uh, but until then, it's have over. Have a powerful now. and blessed. Pentecost. Pentecost.